We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, last week we started a new series. The new series is called The New Man. It's not real complicated. But the thing is, is that this is going to be different than anything that I've done since I've been here. We're going into year three. Um, and I, I keep saying that because I want you to understand, I am a teacher at heart. This is who I am. This is uh, who I've become, I guess. Uh, something the Lord has led me to do years ago is to really just dig into the word and bring truth to light. Not just give you a hyperbole, not just get you excited during a church service that you can go home and be like, boy, that was fun. Well, what did you learn? Well, I don't know. Maybe do that anyway. I don't know. But, but the bottom line is this, is that when we get into the understanding of the new man, we can't just look at it and say, yep, I'm a new person all is well. We have to understand what the Bible says about it. And if you recall last week, we went into scripture and we just looked at what the New Testament says about it. Because you have to look in the New Testament because that is the point in time in which everything that was old now becomes new. Because you had the old covenant and the new covenant. We're going to look at that today. These different covenants. Now, if you were with us here probably a year and a half ago or so, I, during the Emmaus Road series, I went through all the covenants. We took three weeks to do it. I went through them intensely. We are not going to do that today. I am going to talk about them briefly because there's something that I want you to see in them. But our focus is the new covenant because there is something that happens in this new covenant that is unlike anything that's ever happened in any other, any other covenant that was promised by God. But the thing that I want you to take away from, and the reason that we're doing this exercise, if you will, is because the church today is at maybe one of the weakest points that it's been in a long time. Now, maybe in history there has been times that it has been weaker than it is now, but in my opinion, at least during my lifetime, we have a problem in the church. And the problem with the church is, is we agree a lot with what the Bible says, but we don't believe it. We agree with what the Word says. Yes, it says that all things are made new. It says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It says that believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. I agree with all of that. But if we believed it, then we would act differently than what we do. We would not back down to what society says because we would stand on the truth of Scripture. When somebody is sick, we would quickly go and pray for them, believing that God would raise them up because we believe what the Word says. But when we simply agree with it, we're like, well, I hope the Lord is with you. You know, blessed as you go on your way, I hope you get better. If it be the Lord's will. Did you know there is no time in the Bible where it ever says that if it's the Lord's will, he might heal you? Not one time. But yet that is something that's been a doctrine of the church. It would be the same thing as saying, well, if it be the Lord's will, you might get to heaven. Doesn't say that either. We have a part to play in that. And there's an authority given to the believer as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And these are the things that we began to talk about last week. That means with that authority comes a responsibility. Right? With great power comes great responsibility. Right? Spider-Man. You guys with me? Come on now. I, I, you got it, didn't you? You knew right where I was going. He's a good guy, isn't he? But, but, I mean, here's the thing, guys, is that we have a responsibility in this world to be God's ambassadors, which means we are his imagers, which means we are his representative. To be an imager of Christ, that means you look and you sound and you smell like Jesus. In fact, everything about your life should point people to Jesus, and the truth is, is there's a lot in our lives that does not. It points people away from him. There's a reason that people say, I'd go to church, but there's too many hypocrites. You know, my response is always, hey, there's always room for one more. Come on and join us anyway. We all say stuff that we, well, different than what we, we act, you know, and, and whatnot. But the bottom line is this, is that we have a weak church today, and part of it is because we do not know what this new man means. So we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 3. I read this last week. I'm going to read it again this week. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Let's pause there. It says, If you were raised with Christ. 
Okay? That means, you'll look at the antithesis of that, it's like, you might not be raised with Christ. I was just having this discussion. You know what doesn't guarantee that you're raised with Christ? Being baptized. It's a good thing. doesn't make you right with God. Also, being born does not make you right with God. I know that's crazy to some, but you have people that, honestly, it, it drives me crazy. When I see godly people who love God, when there is a death in the family from somebody that you don't know because they're, they're, the fruit of their lives does not represent that of a believer in Christ, they say, well, heaven just gained another angel. Guess what? No, it didn't. He made all the angels in the beginning. Okay? There aren't more angels being born when somebody dies. That's not how it works. Also, when a bell rings, they don't get their wings. Okay? Great movie, not how it works. All right, but here's the thing. But those are the things we say. Why? Because we don't think biblically. So as if you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is, and where is he at? Sitting at the right hand of God. The right hand of the king was a place of authority. No different here. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Boy, we could spend all day on that one, because what do we think about? Some of you are thinking right now, I wonder what we're going to do for lunch, right? I mean, for heaven's sake. Now I'm hungry. Why did I say that? <laughs> Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. But that's where we're always thinking. What can we get next? What are we doing tomorrow? What's going to happen when? I mean, this is all we think. We're not thinking of the things of God. We're thinking of what is our next move. Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, wait a minute. It says you died. When did you die? None of you died. We're all right here, right? So this tells us something. Because the, the, the church at Colossae, who Paul is writing to, he just told them they died. So unless there was a miraculous resurrection, he cannot be talking about physical death. Correct? Can't be. Would you write a letter to somebody expecting them to read it if they're dead? Of course not. I've seen people that wrote a letter to grandma when she passed away, and they'll put it in her coffin. Knowing full well, she's not going to read it. Okay? Because if she does read it, there's another conversation that needs to be had. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, where is your life? With Christ in God. It's making all the same. We were raised from dead. When Christ, who is your, our life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members where, which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It says put to death. That means we have to do it. Who does it? We do it. You have to do it. It's called crucifying the flesh, representing in your body. We call it sanctification, which is a big churchy word, which just means that our, our actions begin to reflect the change that has been made within us. These things are old. They pass away because we make them do it. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, wait a minute. That means there's a judgment coming. To whom? The sons of disobedient. And then it says, but you guys were once part of this. But here's the difference. You died and were raised again with Christ. We're talking about salvation, being born again. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Let's just pause there for a second. You are to put off all of those things. Who does it? You do it. 
That means that when we know, I, I'll tell you guys, this is the truth, and this is honest to God, this is an odd story, but I, when I was in high school, I did a little bit of roofing, okay? Not a lot of roofing, and the roofs that we did were pretty flat. You know, you could take a nap up there comfortably, and I'm not saying that I ever did it, but it might have happened when the boss wasn't there. But we, this guy that was going to my church, who had been going there for a long time, was a roofer, and he was looking for some help. I just graduated high school. I'm looking for work. And he says, hey, you want to come help me? And I said, sure. He's like, what kind of roofing experience you got? Well, I've done some. He's like, yeah, good enough for me. Nice guy. Love this guy to death. And so I went out to the first job, and I looked at this roof, and I won't say it was exactly straight up and down, but it was straight up and down. I mean, there was no pitch to this whatsoever. And I looked up at that thing, and I'm like, huh. I'm going to stand on that. That's interesting. And so he's already up there doing a few things, and he's really nice. And he said, hey, did you get you some breakfast? It was early in the morning. I said, yeah, I ate before I came. He said, the guys are up at the restaurant if you want to run up there and join. I said, no, I'm good. And I'm just standing there watching because I don't know what to do. And so he said, well, hey, can you hand me this? I was like, sure, I can hand you this and stuff like that. Then the rest of the guys show up. Now it's time to get off up on the roof. The second I step foot on that roof, I've never been cussed out so much in my life. I'm, I'm talking like I could do nothing right. At one point he told me, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab these bundles of shingles here. I want you to carry them up over there. I want you to pile them up. You're going to keep feeding us shingles. So that's what I did. But I can't, he said, keep that pile full. Do not let it get down because we don't want to be waiting. We need to keep moving. He didn't say it as nicely as I'm saying it right now. So that's what I did. And guess what? At the end of the day, I got cussed out for having too full of a pile. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of how it went. So I had to take them all back over there. And guess what? Well, that took too long. Now, when we got off the roof and we'd go to lunch, he's back to being Mr. Nice Guy. Like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of thing. I did this for two weeks. There was one roof job. I almost kicked the ladder off the roof and went home. Like, figure this out. Okay? But this guy had an anger problem only when he was working. And he, he didn't even recognize at the time. He came to a church work day. I've never seen a man vacuum angrily before. Like, mad at the carpet for being dirty. How dare you get dirty, you stupid carpet. Take this. I mean, he just, how he, when he started working, crazy, psycho, angry man. Get him done, nice guy. Pray for you. Teach the word. I mean, good guy. So I did it for two weeks. I couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. I, I've had enough. And it was, uh, it was a Sunday morning, and it didn't go over well. I didn't do it right. I didn't call him to say, hey, I'm not coming back because you're crazy. I just stopped coming, okay? I don't recommend that, but I was young and stupid and didn't know any better. Um, and I was a little afraid of him, too, because he was crazy. And he had sharp tools and a nail gun. And we figured out how to shoot that for distance. That's neither here nor there. But so... The, the pastor was sitting up there, and he said, he said, you know, the Lord's put on my heart. It was a kind of a time of worship, and, and we're sitting there, and he says, I feel like somebody needs to go and ask for forgiveness. And I'm thinking, I know who it is. I, I can tell you right now who it is. So I'm sitting there minding my own business. We're praying, and this man comes over, and I'm sitting in the chair, and he kneels down next to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he kind of looks at me, and I looked at him, and he kind of smiled at me and gave me a head nod, and I gave him a head nod, and he patted me on the back, got up, and walked away. I think that was him asking for forgiveness. I'm not sure, but that's just kind of how it rolled. But the guy was crazy. He was crazy only when he was working. And he recognized he had an issue, but he never could crucify the flesh enough to take care of it. And guess what? He went through employees like water. I mean, it was crazy. So who's to put off that old man? We are. Obviously with the help of the Holy Spirit. But we're supposed to put off the old man and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of whom? Him. Christ, who created him. 
You are now created in the image of Christ. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. In other words, there is no separation from you to anybody else when we are in Christ. There's not a hierarchy. There is not a positioning of power and authority in the body of Christ. Now, certainly there are callings that bring some authority with it, but that's not what we're talking about. As far as it is, as being in Christ, we are one with him, one with everybody. You guys get that? You guys see what I'm saying? The reason this is so important is if you understand this, then the rest of it gets a lot easier because now your past is irrelevant because that old man died. He was crucified with Christ. We read that last week. And you were resurrected with Jesus when he was. And according to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, we are seated at the right hand of the Father because He is the head and we are the body. The head and the body are not separate. They are put together. Now, why I'm talking about this is because now I want you to see these covenants because they're important to understanding this. There are six covenants that we're going to talk about. There are a few more in the Bible, but these biggies, if you will. You've got the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and of course, the new covenant. And they always put the IC on there to make it sound cool, but the covenant that God made with Adam. Now, I'm going to go through these quickly. This is not all encompassing. You can go back and listen to that. We have them on iTunes. Um, you can ask me questions later if you want, but I just want to give you a brief overview. The covenant that God made with Adam was in the beginning. God created the heavens and earth. Then he created man and said, listen, I want you to subdue it. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to expound everything upon the earth. Take the garden, make it bitter, bigger. Remember that God created everything. Then he planted a garden. It says eastward in Eden. Then he took Adam and he placed him in it. A lot of times we think about the garden of Eden is the whole world. It was created that way. That is not the case. He created the whole world. Then he planted that garden. That's important. But he said, here's what I want you to do. You can do anything you want, okay? Anything that you want to do, eat of any tree. There's one tree you can't eat of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what does he do? He eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3. So 1 and 2 is kind of the story getting up to that point. Chapter 3 is where Eve succumbs to the, to the serpent, the devil, who tells her, like, hey, did God really say this? And then, starting at verse 14, we see the three curses. you got the cursing of the devil, the cursing of the woman, and the cursing of the man. The breaking of that covenant, all right? Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the, the devil, right? And what's that seed war, that battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman? That would ultimately be Jesus Christ. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you should bring forth children. Women, is that true? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I've never experienced it, but I've watched it three times. It looks miserable. I was watching the Home Run Derby during it, but it looked painful. <laughs> your desire shall be for your husband. And here's the best part of this verse. And he shall rule over you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody give me an amen. Right? If there's one verse in the Bible that may not be true, it's this one. Because frankly, guys, it ain't happening. I mean, this is all a joke. Bear with me. Don't send me emails. Okay, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. And remember, Adam completely passed the buck. As soon as God said, Did you eat of that tree? Well, that woman you gave me made me do it. That's basically what he said. 
Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you shall return. So you've got the result of this covenant being broken. It was between God and Adam. Okay, promises made on both parts because Adam has ultimately agreed, okay, I cannot eat of this tree. That's no big deal. So there's enmity between Satan and Eve and her descendants. No question about that. Painful childbirth for women. You can thank Eve for that. Okay, ladies, when you get up there and you see her, let her have it. Okay, talks about a strife in marriage. Is there a tension in marriage? Absolutely. You've got two people with different opinions on how things should be done. And one of them is always wrong. I'll let you decide who that is. It says that the soil is cursed. Remember, all the fruit of the garden came up. He didn't have to do anything. I mean, he worked it, but I mean, it, it produced itself. There was a mist that came up. He didn't have to go out there and plant things like we do now. Then you see the introduction of thorns and thistles, right? Bad things. In other words, weeds, farmers, not liking weeds. Today's not so bad. You can spray them. Back then, a bit of a problem. There's a survival to be, uh, survival was to be a struggle. You see the introduction of death, Right? By sin, death entered into the world. What do we see? We see the sin of three people, Satan, Adam, and Eve. Because I am of the belief, and you can differ with me, and that's okay, you just might be wrong, that this is where we see the fall of Satan. You see it nowhere else in Scripture mentioned. This is where we see it. And I could expound upon that, but for the sake of time, I will not. And ultimately, this death will be the inescapable fate of all living things. Prior to this, there was no death. They did not eat meat. They were vegetarians, okay? Thank God, after Genesis 9, with Noah... He said, now you may eat meat. Praise the Lord. Okay? But that is what, what we see. You see a covenant made by God with man. Adam, you can do whatever you want. Just this one thing. It's all you can't do. And he broke it. So this covenant would be kind of, uh, um, it's breakable, obviously. Let's put it that way. That it could be broken because it was between God and man. You guys see that? And man, what did they do? They screwed it up. Okay, now let's go to the, uh, the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. It's in Genesis chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 8. We're not going to read the part about eating meat, but just know that it is there, and it is wonderful. Genesis 9 and verse 8 says, Then God spoke to Noah to, and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, now this is after the flood, the waters are descending. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So this covenant is with Noah and every person who came after it. You guys see that? Okay, who's a person that came after it? All of us. There are eight people left. We all descended from them. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that are out of the ark, uh, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Okay, so what's the agreement? I'm never going to flood the entire earth again. I will no, never again destroy the world with water. And has he? No, he has not. It happened one time. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you. Who makes the covenant? God did. And every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. 
and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is a covenant made by God for man. Right? What did Noah have to do to keep this covenant? Nothing. Right? He simply exists. What do we have to do to keep this covenant? Is this covenant still in force? Yes, it is. Every time you see the rainbow, that is a sign to God, the sign to us, that he will never again destroy the world with water. Okay? So this covenant cannot be broken because the one who gave it cannot break it, it being God. If God broke this covenant, what would that make him? A liar. And he is not. You guys see the difference between the two. You've got one that can be broken, one that cannot be broken. All right. The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 3. We know the story of Abraham. His name was actually Abram. All right. God said to him, listen, I want you to pack up. I want you to move to a place that I will show you. He says, I'll make you the father of many nations and on and on and on. Many of us know this story. For the sake of time, I don't want to spend all that time on there. Now, Abram was not immediately... Uh, uh, submissive to this, this command of God because he, he packed up and moved to one place, but he didn't move where God told him. He stayed there about 25 years. But in Genesis chapter 12, and starting in verse 1, this says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And here's the promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is just the beginning of this. In Genesis chapter 15, you see expanded upon. In Genesis chapter 15, God is officially cutting the covenant. This is the promise, but you see him officially cutting the covenant. So Abram gets the animals that are required for that because it required a blood covenant. Um, and God puts Abram to sleep. And then he takes the animals and he puts them in halves and you see the, the smoking oven and the burning torch and you see those things come. Those are pictures of God, Jesus and the Father. Um, they go in between them creating an everlasting covenant. They would go through it in like a figure eight or the infinity sign, however you want to look at it. But, and so Abram, what part did Abram play in this, this covenant? Nothing. He didn't do anything for it, right? This was a covenant made by God on Abram's behalf. And according to this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Are you in all the family of the earth? Yes, you are. So, is this covenant still in force? Yes, it is. Because it cannot be broken. It is based on God. Okay? Now, there is two things that happen. He later changes his name to Abraham, puts the H in, which in Hebrew is the Ruach. It's the spirit of God. Now, remember how he said that the old is gone, the new has come. This is a similar picture of what happens in the new covenant, where the spirit of God comes into the man. Now, this is done physically, so to speak, where the other is spiritually, but we're seeing a, a physical change here. But there was a sign of this covenant. Do you know what the sign was? It was circumcision. This is the sign of the covenant. How did you know that you were in covenant with God? You had to be circumcised. Remember when the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land and they had to stop because they had not been circumcising the children and Joshua had to circumcise everybody? I'll bet that was a great day. You talk about pain and childbirth. Whew. But, but, it's the sign of the covenant. If you weren't 
circumcised as an Israelite person, you were not underneath this covenant. Therefore, this promise did not apply to you. All right? So you guys see how this works. You've got breakable, unbreakable. It's really based on more of the person who is making the agreement. Because a covenant is simply a contract in the way that we would talk about it. Now, let's get into the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant in its infancy, or how you can understand it, is they bring, God brings them out of Egypt. They get there. He goes up on the mountain, right? The Ten Commandments. We've all seen the movie. We know kind of how it works, everything like that. It's God making a deal with Israel. We're going to read out of Exodus chapter 19. And start in verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Remember, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and, you brought, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now hold on. He says if, right? There's a contingency. Because that if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, keep my commandments, then this is what will happen. All right? Verse 6, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which I shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered and gathered and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Moses being the mediator here. God says to the people, if you will keep my commandments, then you will be my people and you will be blessed. Which means there's an antithesis of this. That if you don't, then you won't. Right? And do the people agree to the terms of this agreement? Yes, they did. So, can this covenant be broken? Yes, it can. Was it? Right away it was. Because he comes back down from the mountain and they got the golden calf. Didn't take them long, right? Screwed up people. Man, we're so much better than they are, aren't we? We would never do anything stupid like that. But this is between God and the nation of Israel. So, is this covenant in force today? Sort of. For the believer, the born-again believer, the new covenant would trump this. For, the old, uh, for those Jews, because this is made between God and Israel, then the answer would be no. Or, I mean, yes, it would be in force for them. In that sense, if they haven't broken that covenant. And guess what? They've broken that covenant. Time and time again. Read all the Old Testament. It gets broke so many times. I mean, that thing had more holes in it than anything you'd ever see in your life. But there was a sign to this covenant as well. That sign was Sabbath keeping. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 12, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. There's other passages that talk about the, the Sabbath, the seventh day, the Saturday, was a sign of this covenant between God and Israel. That is how they kept it. So you've got several signs that are going on with these covenants. You guys see this? But this one was based between man and God. There was an agreement made between both of them, right? So it can be broken. You guys see how that works? Let's look at the Davidic covenant. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 11, it says, And it shall be, and this is talking to David, 
when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him who was before you, and I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Now, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and this is far more encompassing than what I'm about to tell you. But ultimately, this is referring to Jesus. Ultimately. All right? But what is the promise of God to David? That somebody is going to sit on your throne in perpetuity forever and ever and ever, right? Jesus is going to do that. How do we know that he didn't do that when he lived on the earth? Is because the throne of David was no longer in existence. It has to be reestablished. So, here's the thing. Who was this between? It was between God and David. What did David have to do to keep this? Nothing. It was a promise of God to David. So therefore, based on the one who made the promise, it cannot be broken. Yes? Because if God breaks this covenant, then God is a liar. So let's jump into the new covenant now. Because there's a reason we've gone through all of this, and I want you to see this. We're going to stay in the New Testament. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 7, but this is going back into the Old Testament, these different portions, okay? So understand that a lot of what's said here was prophesied in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 20. And inasmuch as he is not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We're talking about Jesus here. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. A surety could be a guarantor, a guarantee of a better covenant. Okay, so he's making a covenant here, you see, and it's a better covenant. It doesn't tell us what it is, but that it is a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Okay, so we have whatever the covenant is, it is better, and it's established on better promises. All right, we know that. That doesn't tell us a whole lot, does it? What is this better covenant? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7. For if that first covenant had been followed, so this is getting into the Mosaic covenant, there, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Now, we'll pause here. So how do we know which covenant he's talking about? What covenant did he make when he led them out of Egypt? The Mosaic covenant. So we know what he's talking about. Because they did not continue in my covenant. All right, so what does that tell us? They broke it. So this is a better one. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. What makes this covenant better? It is no longer based on what man brings to the table. It is based on the guarantor, Jesus Christ, and the work that he did. Right? 
You see that? You guys see how that works? That's huge. Because that means we cannot break this covenant. All right? Now, who is this covenant between? We see when a covenant, God makes an agreement with people, and there's people involved. Or sometimes he makes it on behalf of people. So when did he make it, and whom is the covenant made between? Because there's two parties in every one. Was that, that covenant cut with the nation of Israel? Was it cut with us? Or was it cut for us? Let's look at Titus chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which according with, accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Hold on. When did time begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Beginning, time, heaven, space, earth, matter. God created time in Genesis 1.1. Prior to that, there is a promise made. To whom? Couldn't be a person. They didn't exist. This is a covenant between the Father and the Son. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Now, wait a minute. Surely if we're a good person, do nice things, help the old lady across the street, give money to the Girl Scouts, we'll get to heaven, right? No, but we can still give money to the Girl Scouts, right? Absolutely, okay. It's not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and His grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus. When? Before time began. Now, whoa, 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 that, that doesn't make any sense. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Man, there is so much here. When was that promise made? Before time began. Who is this between? The Father and the Son. For whom? All of us. Those who will believe. If anyone believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That promise was created before time. But it appeared. It showed up. It's been revealed when Jesus Christ showed up. And what did he do? He abolished death and brought life and immortality. Okay? Are you going to die? Of course you are. Physically, what is this talking about? Spiritually. The old is gone. The new has come. That new man does not die. It is a promise of God. He brought life and immortality to light through what? The gospel. Where do we find the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. That God, uh, that Jesus Christ died and he was buried and three days later was resurrected. Look that up on your own time. That's what Paul says. This is the gospel. He tells it. This promise is between the Father and Son for those who believe. Now let me ask you something. Once you enter into this covenant that was laid out by the Father and the Son before time began, can you break it? No, you cannot. Because it is not based off of what you did. It's based off of His promise and what He did. Now let me ask you this question. Somebody who's truly born again, can they lose their salvation? Not according to this covenant. It can't be broken. 
right? You guys see that? This is the word, guys. This isn't my opinion. I'm giving you what the word says. You see, there's a lot of misconception out there. There's a lot of misconception out there because we don't think biblically. But if we go to the word and allow it to tell us what it's saying, then we can solve all of these problems. Now, if that promise is there, and we know that it can't be broken because it's based off of God and not off of us, and we can simply enter into that covenant relationship with Jesus, then what other promises are in the Word that are true? Can believers lay hands on the sick and they recover? Absolutely. There's so many of them there. Because God is not a liar. He can't be. Now, keeping that in mind, that no matter what you've done in your past, that when you become born again, that old man is dead and gone, and you have been rebirthed into the image of Jesus Christ, it should excite you, because nothing that happened prior to that makes any difference. So, let me ask you this. Adolf Hitler, pretty terrible dude. I think we would all agree with that. If he gave his life to Christ before he died, what does that promise say? He says, he'd be in heaven. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? Because he's a dirtbag, killed a lot of people, not a good guy. But according to the promise of God and the image of which he would be created in, that promise is guaranteed to him just like it is anybody else. He can't change what he's done on this earth, but that new man exists. Now, based off of this information, keeping that in mind, this impenetrable covenant made by the Father and the Son before time began for our behalf that all would enter into it. Let's read a couple of these passages we read last week. Romans 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is not referring to water baptism. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to God likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord death no longer has dominion over him because death no longer has a right to our spirit because God has created him when Jesus died on that cross and was raised three days later. We died with him and raised with him. You see that? What can you do to get out of that? Nothing. You cannot break that covenant. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you died with him, you were buried with him, and you were resurrected with him with a new man. So the condemnation that came through death is no longer on you. This is why a believer should never fear death. Because they have a promise of God that when their body dies, their spirit remains with Him forever. 
There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. I didn't underline that, but it's powerful. One covenant could be broken because it was based off of man. Man is sinful. Man has abstained for God. But this new one is based off of what he did, not what we do. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Who are the ones that are alive? The ones who have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. Everything else is dead. This is not just talking about works of the flesh. This is talking about the new man that dwells in you. It's the promise of God that if you believe in Him, you will have everlasting life. That you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved, but the key is belief in in him and with that belief in him then you believe his promises because this whole thing about the new man isn't simply about well i don't have to go to hell i get to go to heaven now that is really and really important but there is a responsibility that happens at that point because now you are created in the image of god and you are called his ambassador which means you got a job to do adam had a job to do he was told to tend the garden and expand it the first man created was given work. You and I have work to do, but we walk in the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of death, who dwells in us and enables us to go into all the world preaching the gospel. And these signs follow those who believe. I mean, the problem is, guys, is, yeah, we agree with all of this. Yeah, that's all great and good. But until you believe it in your heart, then you will just be another static, uh, excuse me, a, 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 a number on a piece of paper that says, yeah, they went to church, they're a good person, life is good. I don't want to be known for going to church. I want to be known for advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when I stand before him, I want him to look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want him to look at me and say, well, you're done. That is not my goal. My goal is to please Christ in all things. And every decision that I make is for that purpose. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. And so I want to use it for His glory. But I don't want to stop there. Because if I just go around and I just preach words and I just say things, that's all well and good. But I want to follow the image and example of Jesus on this earth, the image and example of the apostles on this earth who walked around in the power of the Holy Spirit performing signs, wonders, and miracles. 
That is the promise of God as a part of this new covenant that we ignore. We talk about it a lot. Do you know how many people that will be healed by Jesus if you never go pray for them? Zero. We're too worried because of our pride and if we go pray for them, what if it doesn't work? Who cares? Do what the Word says. Go. I mean, it's on Him. It's not on us. You've got to swallow your pride. We've got to be the imagers of Christ, His representatives on this earth. Now, these are all well and good, these things they say, but, but what is that? Because we read a passage last week that talked about the ministry of reconciliation. And we always say that. I know you guys have recited that verse more times than I. I'll bet you most of us don't know what it is. What if I told you is that Jesus was an example of what the ministry of reconciliation was? Because it says we all have it. All of us. See, if we follow the example of Christ, we don't just show up to church on Sunday. Our lives exemplify the power and the truth of the word. You guys follow me on this? It is so important that we understand who this promise is based off. It is not based off of you and what you bring to the table. It is based off of Him. Do you believe it? We have got to believe what the Word says because we are useless if we don't. If you don't believe it, how will they? We've got to start acting like God's image in this earth. Amen? I'm telling you what, I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about where it's going. And I'll be truthful, this is so outside my norm, it's not even funny. Normally I have all 27 weeks already planned out. I don't have next week planned out, okay? Because I can't, and I think that's by God's design a little bit. Because if it was up to me, we'd be going point by point, verse by verse, going through everything like that. But I think the Lord's doing something different in, in all of us here, but especially me. So sometimes we've got to get out of our box and allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. So I'm telling you, do not miss a Sunday because things are going to happen. We are going to see the move of the Holy Spirit in this church. And then we're going to take it outside of this church. And we're going to begin to do the works of Jesus and the works of the apostles. Those stories were not just written down. It's like, oh, well, that's adorable. Isn't that cute? Oh, look, Jesus healed the blind man. Oh, that's nice. I bake cookies for my neighbor. I mean, that's a good thing to do. You can bake cookies for your pastor. That's a good thing to do, too. But, but the, the reality is, guys, is that we've got to get past it. We've got to believe what the Word says. Amen?